and welcome to another episode of A Decade Under the Influence, where we uh, talk about music and discuss how far it has gone in your life. And today I am with Esme. Yeah, were you this Friday morning? Oh, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I had a bit, you know, <laughs> a bit of a uh, annoying this morning. I went like a and weren't working realize I'm not quite good. Yeah, I did my amper on like 20 minutes. I'm a bit of a panic, but yeah, carry on. <laughs> cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, quite a busy day today. I'm playing a gig later on. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. But yeah, it's, yeah, I like I like having a lot of things to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and I, I know you do. Well, to be fair, it's better than having nothing to do, which has been yeah. kind of the tone of the last two years or whatever. So. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's been for me especially. It's been either many things to do, or or the same to many things to not do. Exactly. Like, but right now, hopefully, I think we're heading to a time where it could be very busy. Yeah, I think so. Things are starting to happen again, definitely. So question one, what is your art practice? So I'm a vocalist, a guitar player and general musician in a number of bands and projects um, across various styles, uh, generally within the worlds of rock and metal and experimental music. You know, so... When did you start doing this? Uh, I started as soon as I could, really. Um, when I was in high school, I was about uh, 12 or 13 when I got my first guitar. Um, and I was writing songs as soon as I got it. Um, like Writing songs was always the goal for me. I wasn't really interested in being sort of a technical player. That didn't come until much later. Um, I just kind of wanted to make some sort of expressive noise, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it would have been the first couple of years of high school that I got started. Yeah, well, I'm going to say I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of on the, the very early day of my guitar journey. And right now, I'm similar to you, Thursday, you just, just want to make uh, noise. Yeah, that's all That's all there is, really. Like, um, I, I always say that... Um, the big part, the biggest part of being a guitar player is just having a guitar around and playing it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be, you know, a shredder. You can just own a guitar, and as long as you're picking it up, you're going to get better eventually. Exactly, yeah. And the same, probably be most of my uh, people who are f- who I personally think are my favorite guitar is actually not that good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you don't, you know, you don't have to be to um you don't have to be a virtuoso to write a song or to evoke some sort of emotional response in a listener yeah because but most of a lot of this virtuistic playing is a pretty dull yeah often oftentimes it is um often it's for the sake of itself and it doesn't really serve the song or the emotion behind it it's just um yeah it's just sort of indulgence 
a couple of minor exceptions for me, but at the same time, these days I'm starting to get bored of the guitarists. I do the autistic ones, but yeah, can say I'm yeah. I used to be quite a big dream better fan, but now it's like jump, Trishy, will you shut up? Well, yeah, I mean he's uh <laughs> he's kind of gone. Um, how do I put this? He's got some political views that I don't necessarily subscribe to. Ah, I didn't actually know that. I will have to, <laughs> I will, I will get my session for that. So, uh, why did you start doing this? Um, so, I'd sort of been interested in guitar music since um, sort of the Britpop era was when I really started to pay attention um, as a kid. Um I would have been about eight or nine. Um, and then sort of that led me to bands like Nirvana and Green Day and bands like that. A lot of people of sort of our age yeah. um, would have probably got into that stuff first. Um, I think it's like really difficult to explain why you're drawn to it though. Like it's just, um, it's just something that, some people feel sort of unavoidably connected to and um for me like music's an obsession like I, I it's all yeah. I really think about and it's all I really want to do with my life and my time um I, I also feel like I should say that um I had a really troubled childhood and I always found it difficult to sort of like communicate and connect with other people um in normative ways so I think it all kind of had to come out in a different way, a more abstract way. Um, and that's probably why I wanted to write music and why I wanted to be a musician rather than just a sort of passive listener. Um, I think it was that I had something inside that I couldn't express any other way. Yeah, I guess that's, that's it really. I'm going to say it. Yeah, with me and you go, we were going to say, me and you were speaking quite, not quite a bit, but a little bit, and we both, our very similar age and kind of grew up listening to, getting into the very similar stuff. And yeah, for me, also, I find, I mean, I am, a, I am a writer, but I think for me, a writer who's kind of, whose whole ethos is you get shit on the page, but I think, also, I've been a guitarist, kind of, you can kind of, I can, for me, kind of express that in in, diff, in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we're of roughly the same age. I think you're a little bit older than me, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the music that we sort of grew up with as well was very much, it very much centred that sort of outsider um you know it spoke about like kids who were bullied or kids who grew up in broken homes and stuff like that I don't really see so much of that anymore but maybe that's just because I'm older now but it definitely felt like that sort of period of uh sort of mid 90s to early 2000s had a lot of focus on on that kind of particular teenage experience and I kind of wonder if uh, if I'd have grown up in a different era, if I would have felt differently or if I would have struggled more to connect with it. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing, but, but uh, I've always thought if uh, I grew maybe 10 years really, I've, yeah, I've been listening to probably, uh, the, the, uh, still be listening to the stuff 
I've still been listening to stuff, still getting to it. And Ainton, that I had a replacement, Eliorium, and stuff like that because exactly. it's 10 years early. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I suppose every era has their sort of outcast bands, don't they? Like, you know, if it wasn't, like you say, it would have been R.E.M. or it would have been The Cure or, or whoever. And I love all those bands now as well, so. Well, yeah, they've definitely kind of a whole, when it comes to like, I'm going to say, you can kind of say a, a bit, a bit indie. I'm going to say, you can kind of say outside of, yeah, I'm going to say, um, say I'm not I'm not sure who you've uh, Chosen for influence, but from one of the two, if one of the two you've uh, you mentioned to me a few weeks ago, then uh, yeah, they're definitely a a bit of me of an outsider. Yeah, so the album I chose um, is the third album by the Manic Street Preachers, which is called mm. The Holy Bible. Well, I currently, right now, I'm currently smiling quite heavily because, yeah, it's an album that is so dark but makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, Like, yeah, I could have picked a lot of albums uh, which had a big impact, which is why I sort of had two two in mind. But um, I felt like a lot of the albums that sort of mean a lot for me and that I listened to when I was really young, they sort of need a bit of explaining or apologizing for. And I can't really, um, I can't really approach them objectively. Uh, I don't know if they'd make sense. Basically, my idea, my thought was that I don't know if something like that would make sense to somebody listening to it for the first time now as an adult. Um, I feel like a lot of those things you had to be a kid for. But this one is so raw and immediate that I think anyone would be able to sort of sit down with it and read the lyrics and understand why understand why I feel like it's such a potent piece of work. Can quite a lot of people put yes on me like, nope, not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think also uh, with this band, the one caveat that sort of is necessary is that um, the whole early period is really different from what most people know them for and, Some people would definitely think like, oh, Manic Street Preachers, they're just like a sort of wishy-washy Britpop band. Um, But this is definitely sort of the most aggressive and dark and uh, nasty sort of spiteful record that they've ever done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think your album, I don't think uh, Manic's album, they're both quite big early Manic's fans, but I don't think... You can any album, even no, even Jennifer Plague Lovers, which is the they they tried to get into that ballpark, but they, I mean, but they almost got there, but but it's still nothing compared to uh, this album. Yeah, and I don't I don't think there's anything in the discography which is like this album. Um, even like you say, Jennifer Plague Lovers, which um, was their sort of. I think that was 2009. They did that record, yeah. and that was kind of a follow up to this one where they used. Richie's lyrics, um, sort of in his absence. Um, but yeah, I mean, even that is like a much cleaner record and it's, it's from much older, older is maybe not a flattering way of putting it, a much more matured band. Right. Yeah. And, um, there's something about this record about the Holy Bible, which it's a real product of, of youthful rage. <laughs> 
and you can't really recapture that, I think. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You have a yeah, the Manic for uh, for me a very very interesting band because they kind of just there uh, and they kind of just appeared out of no, I wouldn't say nowhere, but yeah, and uh, yeah, and the help that they're a bass player with a uh, grade A wound-up merchant. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely um, there's a lot of provocative stuff on this record. Uh, and you have to um you have to really i think this is what i like about it what i'm sort of drawn to is that there's a lot of sarcasm and there's a lot of stuff yeah. on here which at first you might think like oh they shouldn't be saying that um or like that's a weird thing for a really sort of left wing band to say um but you have to sort of what I like about this record is that it doesn't insult your intelligence. In fact, it demands that you think about it a bit harder and that you do your own research and that you look into all of these references and all of these things. Um, and, you know, there's still things that I'm finding out. When I was doing a bit of research for this show, I kind of, I was on, you know, Genius and stuff like that, going through the lyrics and... Um, there are loads of references and stuff that I didn't catch, you know, quotations from things, really obscure things too. There's literally hundreds. Yeah, and there's just so many. It's so dense. Um, yeah, that I can't sort of overstate enough that lyrically this is one of my favourite albums of all time. Um, it's just it's just a really, like, amazing piece of work lyrically, if nothing else. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we'll... Yeah, I guess we'll probably get into the music part in a bit, which is lyrically. I don't think the album lyrically for that gets me much of this one. Probably is, but yeah, I maybe listen to this album once a year because it's just a bit much of a wise. Yeah, it's definitely, um, well, <laughs> it's definitely not one to listen to every day. Although I won't, I won't say that I didn't have a period where I did listen to it every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, back to the other question. Where were you when you first heard this album? So I would have been about 17 or 18. Um, and I'd heard all, like, the big singles from, like, the Britpop era and everything. Um so that would be like everything must go until sort of 2000-ish. They had the Masters Against the Classes and Know Your Enemy. That was kind of the period that everyone is familiar with, I guess. Um, and then in my early teens, I bought the first two albums. Um, and I was really, really into those. In my sort of, you know, for me, it was in the same Ball Parker stuff like placebo and all of that that I was really into as a teenager. So um those records like they're musically much lighter, even though the lyrics are pretty dark at times, it's nowhere near it's nowhere near what, what they do on the Holy Bible. It's much more accessible in, in pretty much every way, I guess. Um but yeah, it's a primer and you can see the development. Um well, yeah. Especially the first album. The first album is good, but it's too long. It's much too long, yeah. Um, and then the second album is is kind of 
uh, a failed attempt at a more commercial sound in a way, um, which is kind of, it's interesting, but um, this one, this one's very different to, like I said, to anything else they did really. Yeah, it, 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 to be fair, it still sound like, Megan, but but it still doesn't sound like anything else ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's definitely pointed. It's definitely Joy Division-ish kind of pill, but but it still sounds like nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of post-punk influence on this record, which isn't something they were really drawing that much from. Certainly beforehand, you know, the first record is like kind of it's supposed to be like almost a parody of glam metal I feel like it's supposed to be like what if Guns N' Roses had lyrics about socialism and depression yeah (laughs) um and then the second one kind of um it's 1992 so they're kind of drawing more from alternative rock um which works which fits them much better but then this one like you say that it's like it's Joy Division it's Gang of Four it's um PIL yeah um all of that stuff yeah, um, just the way it's also recorded, because it just sounds like it recorded in just, I think probably was, in just an empty room, because it just sounds so dead. Yeah, they went to, um, I think, I'm sort of pulling this out of my mind, I don't have any notes on this, but they recorded it um, in a really small, cheap studio. Yeah, in Wales, um, I think. In Wales, yeah. Yeah, Wales. Um, I think it was just a studio intended for sort of demos. Like it wasn't a sort of professional album sort of big, you know, they were on um, Columbia. I think they were on a major yeah, label. Yeah, they a massive label. Um, but yeah, they did it in this sort of like, in like a practice space kind of thing, I think. Um, and you can hear that. You can hear that it's, it's, it's so much rawer and uh, yeah, like direct. I suppose, especially compared to the last one, Gold Against the Soul, which, um, yeah, does have that big budget, 1992 um, major label recording and production job on it. Um, This is, again, like a really, the word I would use for this album in general, actually, is stark, and it's a really stark contrast. Well, yeah, it is in, in many, because it'll start to what it was and start to what it followed with the previous time, or also it musically it is. Yeah. So, yeah, barely, it wasn't barely there because it is very much there in places, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just singular, isn't it? So yeah, uh, to answer the question though, I was, um, yeah, I was like 17 or 18 and um, an ex-partner of mine actually bought my copy of it because she was just like you need to you need to hear this um and like of course she was right yeah um, I'd heard you know I'd probably heard a couple of songs from it um and I'd heard stuff from this sort of period of time because do you remember they put out um the track Judge Yourself um which I think was recorded around this era if not in this these album sessions uh but it came out in about 2002 or three I don't think I've read that, actually. I'll have, to go and, uh, I'll have to go and find that. It came out on, um, I think it was like a B-Sides collection that they did. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've got like a massive one with stuff like donkeys on it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it came out on Lipstick Traces. Yeah, the, yeah, that one, yeah. Great album, that is, to be fair. Yeah, um, so I'd heard that. So I was kind of familiar with 
at least the idea that they'd done some pretty like heavy stuff. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I'd just never heard this album until then. So, um, yeah, it then became a very large part of my life (laughs) after that. Yeah, 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 I didn't expect this uh, episode, especially to to, uh, go quite tangenty. Yeah. We're both quite tangenty people. I suppose so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, 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 and definitely, uh, yeah, we definitely no doubt about me or quite full of music needs. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true. I'm sure we could talk all day about about various bands and artists. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna say another question. When did you know? Hang on. Uh, uh, when did you know they influenced you? Uh, so yeah, I would have been like 17 or 18 when I got it, and then. Um, so here's like the personal part of the story, I guess. Is that when I was in college, um, my best friend and I were like really troubled and depressed people. We were kind of like in this Daria and Jane world of like misanthropy and gloom um and I lived sort of around the corner from from the college so we spend a lot of time just in my room between classes or like after school um and this this album was one of sort of 10 that were in really heavy rotation during that period um and I think I think we probably listened to it too much, if anything. And I think it had a really big impact on our worldview back then. Um, and I mean it still it still does. Um I think the thing about it though, uh from that period of time being that age, is that it was the first time I was able to sort of politicize how um disaffected and dissatisfied I was with life and um also i think it's relevant to sort of mention to me to mention that to me this record is like um it's a real city album and i was living closer to a city center than i'd ever been before um and spending almost all of my time um between my house and and my college sort of within this really busy city center um and so to me it's like inseparable from that from the sort of the feeling of being sort of uh you know like a gray overcast day in 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 a in a busy city with all of these like uh like businessmen in suits walking around and stuff and you just hate all of them mm-hmm. that that to me is like the main feeling that I associate this record with is just like I fucking hate all of you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very much one of their albums. Yeah. So yeah, I think like it was a really sort of desperate and and sad time, but also sort of a really weirdly beautiful time because uh, it was a really close friendship and um, a really formative experience in my life I guess when you're just at that age where you're so you're so impressionable and it's sort of the very end of your adolescence before adulthood and I think people talk a lot about the beginning of your adolescence and how sort of so many things that happen to you when you're about 14 or so affect you but 
I think that period of being about 18 and just on the cusp of adulthood, I think that's the most sort of, uh, that has the most longevity into your actual life, um, in my experience. Um, yeah, what I'm going to say is uh, there's definitely a lot of things that have happened to me when between the age of uh, uh, 16 and 20 that kind of still thought of feeling it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, definitely. Twenty years, no, no, no. Hang on, yeah, fifty years later, bigger now. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm thirty-five now. Jesus. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, I'm thirty-three. So, yeah, we're talking about fifteen years of time, uh, which is scary to think about. Um, Very. But yeah, that that's how long I've been listening to this record for, and um, and yeah, like like you say, I still pull it out um, at least once a year. It's just, in fact, for me, there's a certain time of year that we're approaching yeah. uh, currently where it feels very uh, appropriate. I guess is the right word. But yeah, oh, 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 oh yeah, I've got post punk season. Yeah, yeah. I, like I say, like a sort of overcast grey day for me is is when I want to listen to this record. Um, I think maybe as sort of seasonal affective disorder starts to kick in and you start to feel yeah. really sad. Um, and yeah, um, in fact, we had such a day just yesterday and so I listened to this record in preparation. Interesting, so a city album. I'm... Well, for me, I kind of grew up and I'm still living in the middle of nowhere. And for me, this album I put on and just kind of listened to it in kind of villages, which is fitting because I used to walking around listening to mining villages, which is quite fitting because that's what managed for trying to get escape from. Yeah. Um... So for me, it's a very album. We lift on and go. I, I hate th- your cows. Yeah, I think I think I think <laughs> I think that um, when I say it's a city album, um, I think what I think what separates it from some other city albums is that it's coming from an outsider who it's not somebody who's comfortable in the city. It's not somebody who's from the city or even wants to be in the city. So uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like, uh, okay. So like maybe, um, maybe like, is this it by the strokes or, um, yeah. or fever to tell by yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are city albums. albums. Those are city albums. They're about New York city and yeah, they couldn't, exactly. they couldn't not be about New York city, but yeah. they're about people who are like into New York city. They, they want to be there and they like, they think it's cool and stuff. Um, I think this is, this is an album about someone who hates the city <laughs> doesn't want to be there. Um, and isn't isn't okay with it and i think it's also it's not the city isn't about the city it's about is not um a hometown it's not somewhere familiar that they grew up um i think the cities they're talking about are like 
you know, in other countries. Yeah, I was going to say, and I, I never quite knew what we were going to say. Is it, is it Cardiff? Is it Bristol? Who knows? I mean, I think it's like Bangkok and stuff. Oh, yeah, know, oh, yeah. Much. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, well, 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 Bangkok, Bristol, like, yes, and stuff, yeah, it kind of fit, yeah. Yeah, so, or, or yeah, you know, um, the second track, Why My White America, uh, You know, I think I think it's very much about it's very much about um, you know them traveling, them traveling outside of their village in Wales, outside of um, outside of Blackwood, and and seeing all of this stuff and being horrified by it. But yeah, it's a very sort of. Yeah, my lyrics are very sort of immediate. Yeah, like definitely. You, you, you can uh, imagine this year, because I think you can imagine this year if typewriter just frantically just writing these in days. Yeah, and I think um, there's a real st- stream of consciousness uh, element to this. I'm kind of answering the next question here. To be honest, the podcasts that have kind of I've done two so far and uh, and they've kind of and, and the podcasts have kind of followed on kind of quite nicely to prepare with questions so 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 don't worry about that okay so yeah what I was gonna say um and this is this is the next question but um like the the big influence on this record is the lyrical one I really like the music and stuff obviously but um like I said, it, it's just one of my favorite albums lyrically. Um, and what I think is really interesting about it, or one of the things I think is interesting about it, is uh, it really sort of blurs the line between personal and political in this really, um, like you say, immediate way. Um, and that's like, that's a concept that I'd later encounter in sort of feminist writing and stuff. You know, the personal is political. Um, but I feel, I think I think I'd probably heard this before I really read any of that. Um and yeah, the the way that it does that is by sort of shifting constantly between these this really sort of raw and straightforward language and these really obscure sort of references and sort of high-minded ideas or or um sort of hints at things which you could almost like a further re- it, I mean, this album could have a further reading list. Um, yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, but then also it opens with the line, for sale, dumb cunts, same dumb questions. Like it's 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 just so, <laughs> it's just so much. There's so much on this album. Like it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I just, re- I just really respect its approach and how it doesn't sort of, like I said, like it doesn't insult your intelligence and it, it rewards you taking the time to look things up and find out what these things are, who these who these names are. Because um, there's a lot of name dropping on this record, like a lot. Um, and when you look into that and you find out what that's about, it, it it's only going to add to the context and sort of reveal itself. But um, yeah, I appreciate that. Also, I think there's a couple of kind of side side things always uh, kind of 
is one of my favourite quotes ever. Is uh, a little bit from where I remember James uh, Bradfield talking about the lyrics uh, and, and got past the lyrics, uh, lyric sheets, and you're like, I, I think if they thought of where I in a Facebook, if they thought of where I in a Facebook, where how the fuck am I going to sing this? Yeah, I think the quote is a uh, Richie, you mad fucker. Yeah, yeah, definitely one of my favourite quotes ever. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, that. Yeah, that's about the lyrics for yes, and it's true. Um, when you read, when you read along, which I, I'm not really a big fan of reading along with the album as it's playing. I don't know if you've ever, um, if you've ever seen the insert for different class by pulp uh there's a note there's a note from jarvis cocker where he i mean i'm paraphrasing but he basically says like please don't listen to the record and read the lyrics at the same time Love it. <laughs> um like read them separately and take them as their as their own thing and i kind of agree with that um but if you do do that you'll see that it's it's so bizarre how <laughs> how James has had to sort of cram these lyrics because you have to remember that James James the guitar player and vocalist he doesn't write the, any of the lyrics no. he's just given the lyrics um, by at, at this point Richie and Nikki primarily Richie on this album um, and then has to make them fit to whatever music he's written um, a lot of these lyrics don't rhyme. A lot of these lyrics don't have like a regular meter or, or um, syllable pattern or anything like that. So just pure stream of consciousness. And the things that he's managed to make into hooks gets me every time as well. <laughs> like I can't, I can't believe that you've made this into a chorus and it's like really catchy. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm on the top of my head is, uh, I don't listen to why, but, uh, most of pastors like how? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm an architect. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might to sing that. I might even open a line. How? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just there's just so much. There's just so much. I mean, the chorus to Yes, I'm not going to spoiler it for anybody. Like, there definitely, definitely listen to this album yourself if you haven't heard it. Um, but, like... That chorus is just <laughs> insane. Like, I can't imagine writing something that brutal and making it into a chorus, like an anthemic, catchy chorus. But they fucking did it. <laughs> really, one of the best mates. You, you, sing at this. You occasionally we're just singing this to each other because one of them, one of the choruses, like, how do you actually uh, turn that into a, a chorus? Actually, one of my favorite courses ever. It's absolute witchcraft. I love it. Yeah, it's and it, so I think like um, to sort of answer the question, the way that this album influences me is that the that sort of tone of the lyrics where um, they're not dumbing it down, but they're not um, they're not sort of like elitist either. It's not sort of super academic, but it's not it's not um, just completely plain language that kind of tone is something that I really aim for in my own writing um and the sort of confessional quality of it is is absolutely what I what I uh strive for in my own writing yeah we were gonna say also uh 
before the next question, need a shout out for James Dean Bradfield. In my eye, quite possibly one of the best British songwriter ever. Yeah, I mean, he's a really interesting, he's a really interesting guy, I think. Um, and sort of weirdly underrated, I feel like. Um, I get that some people aren't crazy about his vocal style, but I think on this, he really delivers vocally as well. Some of the most sort of like angry vocals he's ever done. I mean, like definitely there's like, there's actual screaming on here <laughs> on a couple of tracks. Well, yeah, I actually really like his singing, but that's me. But yeah, me too. And like, you know, I grew up with it and stuff, but I think that's that's often um, a criticism I've heard. Also, he's just an unquestionably skilled guitar player. Like, you know, we were yeah. talking about mm-hmm. virtuosic guitar players. Like, James Dean Bradfield is insane. Yeah, um, he's definitely up there, yeah. You know, like, and you see him live and stuff. He plays all the lead parts while singing sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, you know... I, I've joked about it and stuff, but I, I really like early manics in general because, you know, all the songs will be about sort of hating yourself and wanting to destroy capitalism and how like love is fake and stuff. And then there'll just be this insane guitar solo. Yeah, especially probably the best example that is Motorcycle Emptiness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Motorcycle Emptiness, I mean, yeah, this is a, a tangent, but like Motorcycle Emptiness... Um, my my main memory, or like my uh, something I associate with that song is um, hearing it in a shopping centre over the PA, and there's something really perfect about that because musically, and I think this is what's so good about the Manics, even in their like commercial era. In fact, especially in their commercial era, I dare say, because um, you can just play a track like that and most people will just carry on doing their, you know, getting their stuff from Superdrug or whatever and not even think about it. But you listen to the lyrics and it's like, you know, it's so dark and it's so, uh, it's like so bitter and it's condemning society and stuff. And I love that. I love that they could sort of smuggle these really explicit political messages into pop songs and they continue to do that for like a solid decade um you know if you tolerate this your children will be next right like even just that title is like i mean it's definitely a bit more than um girls and boys or like (laughs) wonder world or whatever right yeah but then so the first line of that is the future teaches you to be alone, the present to be afraid and cold. But And if I can shoot rabbits, then I can shoot fascists. I love that line. Right? And <laughs> no one in 1996, 1998, whenever that came out, was singing about that. Uh, yeah. And at the same time, the real number one hit, the one number one hit, Master Goes the Classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like, I remember that uh, hit. I remember listening to the top 40. I would have been 12 listening to the top 40 rundown, you know, Dr. Fox or whatever on, yeah. on Radio 1, and that being number one. 
and it's just unthinkable now. It's just like it's never going to happen again. But like that's incredible that they did that, and yeah, clearly millions of people bought that. <laughs> and yeah. it's well, got the, one of my favorite song by Manic Five. I, 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 I do a soft spot for that one. It's got the Cuban flag on the cover of the single. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's just it's and just you quite unpicked Manic for days. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to say, yeah, I'm about, yeah, what we're going to say, I'm not expecting Manic Factory to turn up quite a lot in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there's at least two others I want to see, who were both, uh, when I asked them, I both said, hmm, uh, were the Manic Mafia possibility? I'm like, eh, yeah. I, I, I quite happily listen to or talk about Manic for a day. Happily. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely could have picked um, the other, like the first or the second album as well. I could have, um, I probably even could have t- spoken about some of their later ones too. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I think that's the thing about Manics. You kind of get on barely maligned, but personally, I don't think they've got a bad album. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, yeah, this- Lifeblood maybe. This new one doesn't seem to be shaping up too well, to be honest, from what I've heard. But yeah, I don't know. Actually, yeah, Lifeblood is a weird one. Um, I get what they were trying to do with it, though. I think it's, uh, I think it makes sense within the canon. Uh, if you're a Manix fan, you probably get it. But um, it's definitely not where I would start. No. Um, I'd probably start here or maybe at the first album. And just work oh, through chronologically, or, or possibly set away the tigers into uh, in, and, and kind of go backwards. Yeah, that, that could be a good shout. And of course, like a lot of people came to them with everything must go, and I think that's yeah. um, you know I think that's a really strong album actually. And, yeah, I mean, that album once it, it almost as good as this one. Almost. Yeah, and it, it's sort of I think. It's a weird one because although it's probably their most commercially successful album, it's sort of like a little bit buried and sort of forgotten about, I feel like, <laughs> because everyone's just like, oh, it's the one with all the big songs on it. Um, but yeah, uh, I do agree that, that their discography is generally like pretty strong. Um, and even the ones that people say, are less so I think have redeeming moments I mean I'm a big I'm a big apologist for Know Your Enemy that's sort of one that's quite divisive with the fan base uh it was kind of supposed to be their return to like more rocking stuff um and it does have some pretty good rockers on it found that soul is really good um it's got some pretty bad songs on it to be honest too but like I don't know. There's a charm to it. I think that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Is that if you're a fan of the Manics, then there's always something kind of charming about them, even even in their sort of like weakest moments. <laughs> no, quite happy to try something once. Yeah, definitely. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at least you've tried it. Yeah. Yeah, and I respect that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I think we've kind of covered why they. I think we've covered why they really. Yeah, so that's we kind of covered that one. 
Yeah, but you, you, you can happily, I'm happy to go over them if you want. So why, why they influence yeah. me? Um, yeah, this is a sort of different question to how they influence me, and I thought that was quite interesting. Um, so, like, the music that I make is like pretty dark and like disturbing, I guess, even. Um, and I take a lot of interest in any music which is of that nature. Um, so if you look up sort of lists of like um, disturbing albums or whatever, this is often one of them. Um, no matter sort of what the the sort of genre focus is, obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of disturbing albums in like metal or noise music, but yeah, and this isn't this isn't either of those really. Uh, although I would say it has some elements of both, but um, <clears throat> but it's still, you know, you'll see this in those lists right next to those things because of mainly because of the lyrical content. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're talking about an album that's like about anorexia and the Holocaust and sex work and yeah. fascism and serial killers and stuff, um, and it's it's also like really hard not to see it as a suicide note from Richie. Yeah, very. Um, like, I think that's maybe a bit of a shallow read, but it's sort of um, comparable to like in utero in that reg- in that regard because it's like it's really harsh and messy, but it's also surprisingly it found its way into the mainstream surprisingly far. Um, Obviously, it probably wasn't as big as in utero was, but um, I think it's sort of comparable in that respect as a sort of like swan song, um, just a final, well, not a swan song, that's sort of more graceful. It's it's so, <laughs> it's just such a like, it's a final, it's a final fuck you, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's um, that's, that's what they have in common, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think um, I think it influences me because it's it's really extreme, and it's actually more extreme often than a lot of bands who sort of contrive to be extreme. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's more extreme to me than Cannibal Corpse or someone like that. It's yeah. really trying to be edgy and shocking and dark and whatever. I mean, to me, that stuff's a joke anyway, isn't it? Like, yeah. most people take it as a joke. And even, like, some really, like, serious black or death metal or whatever, um, it doesn't really have the emotional punch of this record for me. Um, this is so much more genuine because of the context surrounding it and I think because it's so legible as well because you can hear a lot of the lyrics and and read them and it's like I say, really stark. It's really sort of bare bones. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's not an act. It's for real, you know. It, yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's just right there. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it very much of uh, the album. It, it reminds me, I'm not sure if you've read it, but it, 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 I've read a Simon Price's book on a manic. Yes, I love that book. I don't yeah, actually yeah. own it anymore. I'm thinking about getting another copy. Yeah, I'm not sure my copy. I'm pretty sure Matt's got it. Yeah, I lent it out years and years ago and never got it back. So 
um, yeah, recently I've actually been scouring eBay looking for copies of it. I think it, there, there's some issue with it. Um, I follow Simon Price on Twitter and stuff, and uh, I really like his stuff in general. Um, there's something about it, though, where there's like two versions and one's been edited, so you have to find the older version or something like that. Um, but yeah, that that book, I also read that around this sort of time when I first got got into this album. I was pretty like heavily immersed in the Manics for a couple of years. So um, yeah, I'd really love to reread that. Yeah, also I think that that I think reminds me for real because the I've actually picture of uh, that of of that um, in it and it is a bit yeah it's a bit gross it's a bit uh, disturbing. Oh yeah, and I mean like uh, I'm not this isn't like a flex, but like I had a poster of that on my wall as a teenager. Like I, yeah, that spoke to me, I guess. But yeah, also, jumping back to like four stone seven. I remember listening to that for years ago. I'm like, listen that, and if you hit me like, yeah, this, I've always had weird uh, eating issues, and it's like, hmm, this is a bit too close to home for me. But but at the same time, it's actually, and then it's on the flip side. If someone actually. Someone write about a male, a man writing about eating eating disorders, which kind of well, at the time was still brand new. Yeah, so kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, like same, and uh, yeah, that kind of like triggers something interesting in my mind um, that I I didn't actually intend to talk about, but I will anyway. Um, in Four Stone Seven, and also in Yes, um, and maybe a couple of other tracks. Something that I find really, really interesting is that Richie basically sings from what I will call a feminine perspective. Um, And I find that really fascinating um, for probably obvious reasons. Um, And it's definitely not the first or last time that the Manics will talk about kind of like... uh, I don't really want to say like dysphoria, but certainly like a gender confusion. Um, and I think that this record, um, yeah, this record hit home for me for that reason. But yeah, 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 and, yeah, and definitely, and uh, and Nicky always kind of flirted with kind of yeah. There's um, I can't remember which album it's on right now, but what an album after this. Um, Nikki wrote a song called Born a Girl, which is uh, pretty revealing. But yeah, yeah, I do like it. And Nikki, like, I'm desperate for uh, I'm desperate for both Nikki and uh, James to write uh, biographies. I can't see either happening. Maybe the boy, I love both of them. Both would be interested in uh, their own ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think, I think you know, Nikki's a really interesting character as well, and um, yeah, I, th- I think that 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 um, I think I think a sort of a rarely explicit but frequently, very frequently implicit um, subcurrent of of all of the manic stuff is a sort of rejection of like masculinity in 
or like toxic masculinity, I guess you would call yeah. it now. Um, and a sort of um, a yearning for like innocence, right? Yeah. That's so, like I said, I listened to this record yesterday in preparation and I noticed that was the thing that I noticed the most in the lyrics, actually. Um, there are all of these references to purity and innocence and virginity. Yeah. And um, I guess, yeah, I hadn't, it's one of those records where you hear something new every time. And, and that was what I took away from it that time. Um this sort of like yearning for something more pure and more sort of um, unspoiled by the world. And I think, yeah, it's a record definitely about how people get sort of poisoned by society. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I could probably talk about that all day, but yeah. Yeah, what I'm going to say, I was going to say, I, I can see the... Definitely Manic popping up quite a bit. Because one of them band, especially in kind of the kind of alternative scene and scene we kind of running, like you're massively influential on how a lot of people put different, different backgrounds. You've got something that you can kind of attach yourself to the Manics for various reasons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you're gonna say you play. I think we're now. I think we're kind to each other. But uh, you 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 play you you with the favorite song by the Manics, or if the album anyway, if you want to stick to the album. Okay. Um. So I was gonna say yes, the opening track. Uh, and I wrote loads of notes about it, and then I listened to the album yesterday. Um, and I totally changed my mind. It's actually a walking abortion, hands down. Like, um, it's just, man, yeah, what a song. It So it's basically a song about um, what I'll pretentiously call the kiriarchy, which is like the power structure of society, which kind of um, is like a pyramid, right? And the the sort of, the idea that the people at the bottom of society, um, which in the lyrics are junkies, winos, and whores, are sort of like considered responsible for the problems caused by those at the top of the pyramid. Um, that being the rich and powerful. Um, like the main conceit of the song, I think, is that um, we sort of act as though we're not responsible for things like fascism or like serial killers and like all of these horrors um, as though they just sort of appear out of nowhere. But like, that's not true. Clearly society uh, constructs these things. Um, you know, it's that kind of argument of like, well, people voted for Hitler. Like he didn't just, you know, yeah, he did like overtake some countries and stuff, but like he got into power organically. Right. Um and yeah, I think it's like, it's such a misanthropic track. Um, it, it also, yeah, like it talks about like serial killers as well. There's a quote from um, Myra Hindley's brother-in-law, I think it is, towards the end of the track, which is such an obscure, such an obscure reference. Um, and yeah, like, um, 
I think this is probably the heaviest track on the record um, and maybe the heaviest lyrically as well because it's just, there's no redemption in this. Um, it's not like, oh yeah, but we can fix it, guys, if we work together. It's just like, you're all like, you know, worthless. You're all pathetic and I hate you all. Um, and I, I like that. I like that there's no happy ending to it. Um, and yeah, I think... Again, like I'm not going to spoil it, but the final the final moments of the track are like just one of my favorite musical moments of all time. Just just an incredible way to end a track. Yeah, I'm gonna have, yeah. I, I'm gonna go for a walk after. I don't know if uh, I might actually listen to it the first time in a while, actually. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I do love, uh, yeah, yeah, I do love this album. It's definitely one of my. Uh, yeah, it's definitely my top ten album of all time. But if you have my collision to it, because it is one of them albums where you love every time you listen to it, you just kind of get bombarded by thoughts from either from the lyrics or yeah, behind for now. It's quite yeah, quite unsettling listen for many reasons. Yeah, definitely. And like I find it quite an emotional listening as well. Yeah. Um like I definitely I don't know, I, I just um it resonates with me in such a way that like some albums feel like they're speaking directly to you, but, and that's like, that's a really strong connection, but then there are a few albums that feel as though they're almost speaking for you. And that's this album for me. Like it's stuff that I didn't even know I wanted to say. But it says it, and I'm just like a hundred percent behind it. Yeah, it's very much. Uh, it is kind of very much that kind of vibe. If you're gonna say, well, also a bit of a tangent, but uh, gonna gonna say it. The way thing that uh, the, the album, but they were quite infamously your station and uh, James uh, Dean Bradford. Uh, actually prefers that version, which kind of baffles me so much. First, which version? Sorry. American remaster of it. Oh right, yeah. Which um, is personally awful. I don't think I've heard it actually. I don't think I've consciously heard it. If uh, if I have, I, I, I think I listened to it out of curiosity. It very they cleaned up the drums and kind of it no. Yeah. Yeah, I think like we were saying, I think part of the charm of it is is just how raw it is and how um it's it's unpolished, right? Um and that suits it. That's it feels necessary. I don't think they could have done this record, you know, much like in Utero as well with the Albini production. You kind of I, yeah, gonna say I do like in, in Utero. Probably my favourite Nirvana album to be fair. I go back and forth on it. I think uh, I think the best songs on it are the best songs they ever wrote. I think some of the worst songs on it are some of the worst they ever wrote. But that's just yeah, that's just me being um, <laughs> a contrarian, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, gonna say uh, gonna spend now the last question. Uh, explain your artistic style. Okay, this might be a long one. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm expecting this. For you, actually. <laughs> so, like, uh, okay, I've always played heavy music in some capacity. Um, 
like broadly speaking, some things more than others, but that's generally where my interests lie. Um, and these days I'm mostly working within extreme metal and sort of noise music as well. Um, I've gravitated towards that over time, um, sort of starting out, like I said, listening to sort of indie, um, like indie rock. And then I was sort of like getting into like punk and noise rock and hardcore, post-hardcore stuff um, in my teens. Uh, I think the appeal um, of this music is, is, is sort of an expanded vocabulary from a lot of more standard rock music. When you're playing metal, it's difficult it's difficult to write and it's difficult to perform and it's difficult to listen to. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really sort of content with um, playing simple chords and rhythms anymore. I felt like I'd done that in my teens and sort of twenties and stuff. Um, and I wanted something that I hadn't really explored. So I've been in lots of bands. I've been in bands since high school and um, I'm still doing it. Uh, about sort of um, five or six years ago is when I really started getting deep into black metal. Um, and that sort of renewed my interest in the guitar because I'd just been sort of playing in a punk band before that. And um really sort of like slacking off in a lot of ways because it was just pretty easy. Um, and that was something that I didn't really understand immediately and I didn't know how it was done. And I'm always drawn to stuff like that where I just, I just, I want to understand it and I, I want to know how it's, how it's happening and, and what the constitute parts are. Um, So yeah, I think like um yeah, I'm I'm drawn to this music for the same reason that a lot of people are. Like I said, like I haven't really had an easy life or anything and um I think heavy music, the way I always think about it is like it's like a distress signal, right? You sort of like make this really loud noise. <laughs> And hope that someone else will be able to hear it and, <laughs> and know what that. it means and and come and sort of like rescue yeah. you. I get it. Um, so that's that's kind of that's kind of why I do what I do is is um, I'm just screaming for help <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, you know, it's more than that. It's more, it's less selfish than that too because. Um, I think it's it's like a cliche, but heavy music is often about turning negatives into positives, right? Yeah. You take all of this like suffering and all of these like bad experiences and you make not only like art, but you make like experiences and memories for other people through like live shows and 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 just their associations with the music. You make you make a sense of community with like, you know, fans of that music, if that's not sort of too uh presumptuous. Um, no, I was going to say it's fine, but because I'm going to say we for similar. Most of my, most of my friends, I've kind of made friends with because just a love of music. Yeah, yeah exactly, music, yeah. exactly. 
Um, I think I think a lot of people do, and I think um, especially I find you know I've never found making friends particularly easy, but definitely as you get older into your thirties, it's it's a lot harder. And I think almost every friendship I still have or have formed recently has been because of music and because of you know not even just like because I play music, but just I've seen people around at gigs or or whatever I've made some sort of connection with them because we have some shared interests in music because that's pretty much like I said all I'm really that interested in yeah um and yeah I think um I think it's it's a way that a lot of people connect with others and it communicates a lot between people without having to without actually having to say it <laughs> out loud like I feel like if you like a record like this Manix record or like you know if you're into metal or or punk or whatever probably we're gonna have something in common probably we'll have had some of yeah. the same experiences um felt some of the same emotions about something or other uh i think people i think people are um often looking for a kind of tribe and i mean a lot of a lot's been said about about that sort of like tribalism and and how that used to be a lot more clear cut maybe than it is now with you know punks and and mods and and hippies and all of these like really and like i don't know grebos and grungers and stuff and <laughs> yeah. all of that stuff used to be like really clearly demarcated and and uh and also like fairly accessible like those ideas are pretty mainstream that's the thing you think of them as underground cultures subcultures but it's not like they were impossible to find um but now there is less of that sort of like tribalism and and it's less applicable to adult life as well. Those feel like very much uh, things that kids do. And um, obviously there are lots of adult goths and adult metalheads and stuff and, you know, (laughs) I count myself as one, I guess, but like, (laughs) but yeah, a lot of people I think um, feel as though they have to abandon that as they get older. Um, I feel very strongly that that's not how it should be at all. Um, I think I've got stronger. I think I think got stronger in clinging onto a kind of alternative music. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely how it's been for me. Um, some people, some people, for some people, it's a phase, and for the rest of us, we're in it for life, right? Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely not a phase. So yeah, we're going to say we've. Uh, me and you, we kind of met through uh, working on my show, but, 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 but we, and then we quickly realised uh, our music taste in places is quite similar. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and uh, yeah, I think I think um, I think it's really it's really nice when when that happens because, like I say, like you don't have you feel like you don't have to explain as much. There's there's a lot that's unspoken there, and that's. Um, just sort of like understood before yeah. time without without sort of um you know having to sort of break it down for anybody else's benefit or anything like that um 
So yeah, I think it it only helps people to form deeper and more significant connections when that does happen, uh, even if it means that it's sort of harder to make more shallow connections with people at large, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, the, yeah, I get that. Yeah, the average person on the street probably has never heard the Holy Bible by the Manic Street Preachers, right? Um, but the people who have, you know, they love it, and and I, I want to be friends with those people. <laughs> yeah, I would say also think love it, but also I think a lot, a lot of them listen to it. I've said been asked how, and they have kind of been change by it in some way yeah and that's it and i know i know that if i do meet somebody and they say oh yeah i fucking love that album then that will tell me quite a lot about them um and i know that we'll have m- more things in common than just we like the way that this record sounds um it goes a lot lot deeper than that and uh you know not to paint any other music as shallow because I don't I think that's I think that's a really bad way of looking at things, but to sort of bring it full circle, this this record is is really deep and really intense and there's a lot to get from it. Um and that's that's for me when music is at its most potent. Well yeah, I remember buying this album actually and buying the linear yeah, it's a Newcastle of all places. I saw this with the beatdown, but yeah, I'm having that. Yeah, I actually bought I actually bought it quite recently on vinyl, um, probably just last year actually. Um, because I've <laughs> I had the same coffee stained CD copy of it for yeah, like fifteen years. Yeah, we would have quite liked the uh, I Quite like an original of uh, the Bible, but, 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 and then you're talking silly money to get that. Of course, yeah. There many copies made anyway, to be fair, because in the 90s, were, in 94, uh, mine were slowly dying out, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, I, I, I love it, I love it, but I think they, I think if you're looking at 400 quid for one of them, if you can get one. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole era of music which, didn't even make it onto vinyl really it seems like uh which is pretty frustrating yeah um, especially i mean quite to have on vinyl yeah yeah um <laughs> and it's a really yeah, well, it's a really sudden it's a really sudden drop off as well where you want to get anything released up to about 1996. That's that's pretty available. Anything after that until like... 2010. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah, somewhere around like the late 2000s. It's just, you know, and because uh, because of how the world works, that that mostly affected the underground more than more than the major labels and stuff. So... Um, like I'm really into like dark wave, like American dark wave and stuff like that, like the project records catalog. None of that stuff was pressed to vinyl. It was all done on CDs, like CDRs and stuff even, um, in like, yeah, 1998 or something. 
and only now it's getting sort of vinyl reissues and they're all like 20, 30 year anniversary pressings because they never came out on vinyl at the time. It just wasn't financially viable. Um, That's kind of interesting that it's now, it's sort of now more available than it was then. yeah, at the same time, it's taken ages to come out now. A year and about a year, which is quite worrying. But yeah. yeah, yeah. There's um, it's not, it's not, um, it's not perfect by any means. Like, um, especially with the pandemic, it seems like, uh, yeah, the delays, which have always been pretty significant. Actually, a lot of lay people don't realize this, but a lot of records can be sort of anything up to two years um, from recording it to having it in your hands. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know we have like surprise drops and stuff like that these days. The internet's made it easier to get music heard, but it's not made it any easier for physical media. Um. I mean, so I've been waiting almost a year for that daughter's record, you know, the uh, Canada Songs reissue. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I bought that back in, like, February or something. Um, I still don't have it, and that's why. It's because the, the the pressing itself has been has not only taken a long time just in general, but it's also been delayed a couple of times, I think. Yeah, 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 one album, especially, I, I, I bought an album in May by Maybe She Will, and emails to say, they're probably looking at probably February next year now, nearly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, not to be, like, um, again, like, pres- presumptuous or anything, but, like, one day I would really like to have a record on vinyl that I've done. And it just seems increasingly less likely to happen. And I've wanted that since I was a teenager. And uh, I've, you know, I've made a seven inch and stuff before, but um, most people I know, and myself included, we're putting stuff out on tape. And there's a reason for that. And it's not to be like obscure. It's because that's all we can afford. And the turnaround time is reasonable. Yeah, to who grew up listening to record from tape. I do find the idea of stick for music out of tape extremely appealing. Yeah, I mean, personally, like, there's a lot of nostalgia attached to it. and uh, Yeah. Same here, really. Like the first music I ever owned was on tape. Um, I, in fact, the very first, the very first music I ever owned for myself um, that I bought from a Virgin Megastore when I was like eight or nine years old was one of those Shine compilations. Do you remember Shine? They were like... um, Vaguely, yeah. They were basically like Britpop and indie rock com- compilations that were made by Polydor, I think. Yeah. Polygram. They were, yeah, it was like some really corporate thing, but it was basically just like all of the sort of top 40 
guitar songs. Um, so it would be Oasis and Blur and Suede and and Cast and Ocean Color Scene and all of these bands. Um, but that's how I heard like Placebo and 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 the Mannix and Kinicky and and Elastica and all of these bands. Um, yeah, that that was like the first music I ever owned were these sort of compilation tapes. Um, and then when I got older, I would just steal my mum's tapes. So I stole. Um, she had a dubbed copy of Nevermind with. Uh, I think it was like Appetite for Destruction on the B side. And uh, she had like REM albums on like proper tapes with the lyrics in and stuff. So like I've always loved REM for that reason. So yeah, for me, like tapes are really important um, f- for a multitude of reasons. And I, I don't really buy any of these these like criticisms about sound quality or like, God forbid, like, the hipster accusation like uh, that's a whole other thing <laughs> I I could probably talk about forever but like I really hate I really hate the way that people dismiss things as hipster if it just means like stop liking stuff I don't like it's just so meaningless yeah it is well yeah 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 you yeah I feel you've kind of like you yeah you've never liked what you like and don't care yeah, let people enjoy things, as they say. Exactly, and that's what I kind of yeah, going to say. Uh, I have arguments with my friends, like, nope, shut up, let people enjoy things. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a, a good way to uh, end, uh, end this uh, part, uh, end this ep- <laughs> an episode. Yeah, and before we go, if you want to, uh, if you want to plug anything, uh, now, uh, now is your chance. I have a music podcast called Hide From Time. Uh, Basically, I just play some things that I've been listening to in the last fortnight and play them and talk about them every fortnight. Uh, It basically covers, um, here's the spiel, rock and metal, noise and ambient, and experimental and electronic music. Uh, I also play in a few projects and bands uh most notably i suppose is pen and stare which is a sort of experimental black metal band i play in a more traditional black metal project called petrine cross which has a uh, split tape coming out october 1st thanks very much so, uh, yeah i do listen to uh iphone time and it is very uh, i do find it very enjoyable cool thanks i'm glad you like it <laughs>